Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Daf Lamed. We are in the middle of discussing this Mishnah that talks about uh, Yom Tov of, of Rosh Hashanah, which is on Shabbat, where in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, they would blow Shofar even on Shabbat. After the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, you might have thought, now we're not going to blow Shofar anywhere on Shabbat. I mean, that is, in fact, what happens today. But in the time, at that time, Rabban Yochanan and Zakai made a takana. And we saw how, you know, he, he, how he did this using, uh, you know, act first, ask questions later. And so he made this takana that, yes, we were going we're gonna to blow shofar also in Yavne. And then we said, furthermore, not only in Yavne, but um, uh, had a one up on Yavne, even though Yavne, they're still blowing the shofar. And the one up is that any place that can see and hear and is close and you can get there also uh, it would blow, would blow the shofar. In other words, the surroundings of Jerusalem would also blow the shofar on Shabbat. But in Yavneh, they would not blow except in the Betin only. Okay, now we're going to focus on these words only in the Betin. And so what does that mean? That only the Betin themselves blow shofar? What about individuals? If an individual is nearby the Betin, then can that person blow as well? That's what we're, going, that's what we're talking about. Um, we're also going to analyze this word ve'od, that there's another, there's another way in which uh, Jerusalem had a one-up on Yavneh. Well, this is interesting because we didn't see anything beforehand that you would say ve'od. So ve'od seems to be adding something new besides something else. Right, uh, that's that's the structure here. Because so, in the first paragraph, Rabban Yechamim said, "We're going to do it in Yavne also." Uh, all right, so now it sounds like Yavne is equal to Jerusalem. So what's and uh, furthermore, right, ha, that Yavne has a limitation. Okay, so that's where analyzing what is the nature of this limitation. We understand that in Jerusalem, everybody in Jerusalem would be blowing shofar in their own batekinesiot in their own homes as long as and could see. But in Yavne, not so. Only in the Betin. How do you define in the Betin regarding individuals? Okay, so with that in mind, we can jump right in. Amaru lo, echad Yavne, vechad komakom shiesh bo Betin. That's the quote from the Mishnah. And not only Yavne, but any place that has a Betin. Amarav huna, ve'im bet din. Only with the court. That an individual can blow the shofar only with the court. My ve'im betin. What does that mean with the court? Bifne betin, la puke shelo bifne betin. That means um, in front, it's a geography, it's a place. That is, if you are nearby, you can, you're in the presence of the court, then an individual can come and blow shofar for themselves. But if you're not there, if you're down the block, no good, you cannot blow the shofar. I'm going to show you an outline of what we're going to see to make it clearer, because the beginning here is a bit lengthy. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, does an individual blow it only with, not blow it, blow the shofar only with betin? Now we're going to have two versions of what Rav Hunas said. We just saw the first one. And in the first version, he's talking about blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And he says, in Yavne, you can only blow it if you're nearby. It's, it's referring to the place. We're going to challenge it and say, Maybe not. Maybe it's referring to the time when the Betin is in session. 
then you can blow the shofar um, uh, wherever you are in the city, as long as it's during that time. Maybe that's what with Betin means. And we'll reject it. We're going to uphold what Avuna says. That's going to be version one. Then we're going to have another version that we applied Avuna's statement, not to blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, but rather on the Yovel. Every 50 years on Yom Kippur, we're going to blow shofar to announce the Yovel. And there also, and, and that's what Avuna said, that individuals can blow it only um, uh, only with betin, and there we apply it the opposite way, that it means at the time that the betin is in session, um, but, but not if it's outside the time. And when we're going to challenge that to say, well, maybe, maybe he mean, maybe the, maybe the statement means in the place of betin, not the time. Okay, so that's the two versions. So now let's focus on the first one where we're talking about Rosh Hashanah, and according to Ravuna, anyone in nearby, in the place of the betin, can blow it. Here's the challenge, Mativ Rava. Ve'od zot Mai ve'od zot? The question we had regarding the Mishnah. Why does it say, and there's an additional way in which Yavneh was more limited than Jerusalem? What do you mean an additional way? We only saw one. If it's the the thing that we the one thing that we mentioned that Jerusalem anywhere all the all the surroundings can say it, and that's not true for Yavne. Okay, that's one. Why are you saying and zot ve'od zot? I could have just said zot if it was only referring to one. So this answer is that in Jerusalem. Individuals would blow shofar in all around Jerusalem. In other words, the court would blow it, and all individuals were at, at home or in the Bet would blow it. And in Yavneh, individuals do not blow it. Okay, so you see that this would be a challenge to Rav, uh, Rav Huna's statement because Rav Huna says you can blow it with Betin. As long as you are an individual near Betin, you can blow it too. But according to this, individuals cannot blow it at all on Shabbat. So now we say this can't mean literally that what, what it says, that individuals don't blow. This is just a great story in and of itself. Um, that Rav Yitzchak, when he came from Eretz to Bavel, he reported that when the Chazan finishes blowing the shofar in Yavneh, so he's the official Chazan, the Sheliach Sibur, doing it in the Betin, and as soon as that was done, everybody took out their own shofarot and were blowing them individually, right? They would go all around and blow them for everybody. And it was so loud that you couldn't hear that your, your own... That you couldn't hear yourself think um, because of uh, so many individuals blowing shofar. This reminds me of this past summer when there were so many outdoor porch minyanim that I was just walking down the block and right every block you hear someone else blowing shofar. Right, so you see, you prove from here that in Yavne individuals did blow the shofar. So you can't say that that's what 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 is talking about that that's the limitation of Yavne that individuals didn't blow. They did blow. Rather, the limitation must be different. Jerusalem was expanded in that um, individuals could blow any time during the day when Betin was in session, when it was not in session. Betin was generally in session from the morning until noon, till midday. So 
um, but it doesn't matter. Anytime uh, the betin will blow in the morning when they're in session, but individuals can blow all the time. And what's the limitation of Yavne? Only in Yavne, individuals can blow only in the morning when betin is in session and not otherwise. That's the limitation. So according to this, but according to this reading, there's no other limitation. It just says when the betin is in session, the individual individuals would blow. And that seems to indicate even if they're not nearby. So this is a challenge to Rabuna who said they have to be nearby. And now we answer it. The answer is pretty simple because actually it didn't say anything about place here. No, I can argue otherwise. The limitation is not, not regarding time, but regarding place. In Jerusalem, uh, they would uh, blow the shofar in Betin and not in the place of Betin, right? All, in the, all around the city. Whereas in Yavne, only when they were in the presence of the court, and not when they were not in the presence. And that could equally be a limitation that would answer the ve'od in the Mishnah. And so now Rav Huna is, uh, is saved. Okay, so that's all version one. And now we're going to go through a very similar exercise, but everything kind of reversed. And according to this, Rav Huna is talking about time. Question? Yeah, uh, why does the time of the, that the Beitin sits, um, wh why is that important? Does the Beitin actually sit down on, on Rosh Hashanah? Yes, or they Yom do Kippur? sit down because, I mean, uh, um, you know, first of all, they're, they're still accepting witnesses. You know, they might be, might be today, uh, 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 they have, they're accepting witnesses um, for, for the Rosh Chodesh. I mean, on the first day, they're not sure if it's Rosh Chodesh or not, they're accepting witnesses. And so they're still processing things. You're right that, that, that you, you don't, they don't process regular Dinem Amanot uh, on, uh, on, Yom, on, on Shabbat or Yom Tov. That's a Shavut. Uh, so they're not doing normal things, but maybe things that are related to the holiday if they need people had questions about that. And this would apply to Yom Kippur also, if we're about to mention Yovel? We are about to mention Yovel. It would apply to Yom Kippur also. Exactly. Um, yeah. So at the whole, this whole concept is interesting that in front of Betin, somehow the, the, the Betin's jurisdiction, uh, because we made a, a, you're not allowed to blow Shofar on Shabbat, but we allowed it for Betin. Fine. But now it's allowed, that extends, kind of like you know, the holiness of Jerusalem extends, of, of the Bet HaMikdash extends out to Jerusalem. So too, we're saying like the jurisdiction of the Betin um, can extend uh, out uh, for a certain amount of time or place. Uh, so you can join in the Betin in, in, in that way, but you can't go too far because then you're not in the jurisdiction of the Betin anymore. Right, so it's uh, it's interesting, kind of like uh, an embassy in a different country, right? If as long as you're in the, the gate of the embassy, you are protected under its uh, authority. <clears throat> okay, and so we start off with this baraita that says, On Yom Kippur of the Yovel, we will blow the shofar everywhere. So you see that it's not only the one, you know, not only the Bet Mikdash, not only in the Betin, but everywhere in the land, everyone should be blowing shofar. And this teaches that on a, uh, uh, that everyone will blow 
Okay, see, this is different than the Rosh, Rosh Hashanah sometimes falls on Shabbat, sometimes doesn't. But the Yovel blowing is always on Yom Kippur. So you can't say, well, we're not going to blow when it falls out on Shabbat on Yom Kippur, because it always falls out on Yom Kippur, right? So this is necessarily going to be more lenient um, in, uh, the, uh, about, regarding the individual's blowing. So here is where Rav Huna was talking about. We know that Rav Huna said these three words, but we're just not sure what did he say him about. And according to this, he's making a limitation on this. When individuals blow on Yom Kippur of Yovel, they can only blow it with the betin. Now, my ve'im betin, what does he mean by that? Over here, it has to mean bizman betin. La bizman betin de la. Means during the time that the betin is in session, meaning in the morning. It can't mean place because it already said bechol So if I live far away, everybody has to blow shofar in every city. So obviously it can't mean the place. So that's why he says, but you have to be, you have to join in the betin by doing it at the same time when they are in session. Okay, so now that we understand Rav Huna, we're going to have the challenge. Mativ Rava, Tikiat Rosh Hashanah V'yovel, Tochat HaShabbat Ba'givulin, Ish U'Beto. Rosh Hashanah and Yovel, the blowing of the Shofar, can override, override Shabbat in the areas, Givulin means the areas outside the Bet HaMikdash in Jerusalem, and this applies to a person and his home. Now, first, what does that mean, the person and his home? My ish ubeto. We have this phrase regarding Chanukah, right? Ned ish ubeto, right? One candle for a uh, for a household. So, what does it mean? Ilema ish ve'ishto ubeto is uh, is sometimes a term that means one's wife. And Aramaic also debitu debayit, the person the uh, of the house. So ititami mechayeva. If it's talking about a man and his wife. A woman, a chayavot, uh, obligated in listening to shofar. It's a positive commandment that is time-bound. Women are not obligated in that. So beto can't mean his wife. Okay, so it must mean in his house. Actually, this might be a phrase that generally means that it would apply to Chanukah also, right? Every home has to have a Chanukah candle. And here means... Everybody has to blow the shofar in their home. So how could that be? Can it be even when the betin is not in session? No, it has to be when the betin is in session. Um, okay, good. Now, so uh, so that's that's uh, that's Ravaz uh, challenge. But we're going, and uh, that was a, uh, right, so it doesn't mean even not in time of Betin, that was the challenge, right? And that would go against Rava, because he said only in the time. And we say, no, only in the time. It has to be everybody's house, but only in the time. So that's uh, upholds Rava, who said, Ravuna, who said only in the time. Okay, so that's challenge number one, and that was a simple answer. Now, challenge number two, Mativ Rav Sheshat. Shaveh HaYovel L'Rosh Hashanah L'Tki'ah V'Leberachot. We saw this already that the Braita says Yovel and Rosh Hashanah are the same regarding the way they blow the Shofar and the Musaf prayer. Yovel is more expansive in that um, you blow the Shofar any place that there's a Betin, any kind of Betin, whether it's a Betin that is authorized to declare the new moon or even the betin that is not authorized to declare a new moon. Usually to declare a new moon, you need a Sanhedrin, right? It has to only, only one betin can do that. 
So you need the Sanhedrin, or if it, it can authorize a smaller betin. Um, but so, but so whether it's the big betin or any betin uh, of of three, they would blow sh- blow shofar for Yovel. And furthermore, regarding Yovel, every individual has to blow. However, but if if Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbat, lo hayu tokin ela bebetin shekidishu bo etachodesh ve'en kol yachid ve'yachid chayav litkoa. Rosh Hashanah is more limited because it only falls on Shabbat sometimes, and so this it's restricted that only a betin that is authorized to announce the uh, the new moon only they blow the shofar and individuals. Uh, do not do not blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, now let's focus on the Yovel part. What does it mean when it says not any every individual has to blow the shofar? And actually, this is for uh, regarding Rosh Hashanah. What's the difference between the first and the, the first half and the second half regarding individuals? If you say it means that during a Yovel, individuals blow. On Rosh Hashanah, individuals do not blow at all. Well, we already know that can't be. We know that individuals blew the Shofar on, um, on Rosh Hashanah in Yavneh. Right when the Shelech Sibur in Yavneh would finish blowing Shofar, you couldn't hear yourself. Because everybody everybody was blowing shofar after him, so obviously even on Rosh Hashanah they were blowing. So what's the distinction between Yovel and Rosh Hashanah? El alav ilu beYovel tokin ben bizman betin ben shelo bizman betin ube Rosh Hashanah bizman betin in shelo bizman betin la. So the difference must be that on Yovel you blow the shofar whether uh, both when the betin is in session and when it's not in session. Whereas regarding Rosh Hashanah, uh, when it's in session, yes, but not when it's not in session. Katani mihat bayovel ben bizman betin ben shelo bizman betin. But the point is that on Yovel, it's what we just concluded in order to figure out the two clauses in this um, in this baraita, we concluded that on Yovel you would blow both when it's in session and when it's not in session, and that contradicts Rav Huna's limitation because Rav Huna said. Regarding a Yovel, only with the Betin, and that means only when it's in session. And here it's more expansive also when it's not in session at, on the Yovel. So that's the challenge. And we answer, no, we can make a distinction a slightly different way and keep Rav Huna. La, le'olam bizman Betin. Everything is in when it's in session. By Yovel, bizman Betin. Tokin ben bifne betin ben shelo bifne betin. If you if it's when the bet betin is in session, the time, then anyone can blow the shofar, whether they are there in the presence physically or they are far away. That's in yovel, which is the more expansive. Whereas on Rosh Hashanah, it has to be both when it's in session and physically in the place. That's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yovel was regarding the place. Okay, so that is a successful uh, answer for Rav Huna, and we support it. Because he says that you don't, you only blow Shofar, when the court is in session, when it is sitting. And that would be true both on Rosh Hashanah and on Yovel.
Okay, good. So now we uh, we uh, we saved uh, Rav Huna from all of his attackers in both versions. And one last question regarding this: When you say it has to be the betin is in session, what is exactly exactly when? What if they just finished? They just you know bang the gavel that the session is closed and they're still gathering their papers. They didn't stand up yet, but they're about to. So the session officially is closed, although they're still sitting in their seats. Mahu, betin yoshvin ba'inan ba'ika. Is it that you need that the betin is sitting and still, they're physically sitting, and so that's good enough. Or do you need them to be in session? And since they closed the session, it's not good. That's a good question. We'll leave that unresolved, right? What does that mean? The, the uh, jurisdiction of the, of the court, is it only when they're, um, uh, 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 the, uh, only when they're legally actually in this in session. All right, and now the next part of Mishnah. Um, so we uh, the Mishnah said that Jerusalem um, is more expansive than Yavneh because in Jerusalem all the outskirts. Uh, and so we gave four conditions for someone living uh, near the Bet Hamikdash that they can blow also. Number one was ro'ah. It has to be able to see the Bet HaMikdash. And so that would exclude someone who's in a valley. The valley might be very close to the Bet HaMikdash, right? It might be just right nearby, but because it's low down, they can't actually see it. And so then, see Jerusalem. So then they would not, um, they would not blow shofar. Shoma'at, perat liyoshevet, perat So it has to also be able to hear so if you're in a mountaintop and I can see Jerusalem, but because it's, so I have a good view because I'm on a mountain, but it's technically far away and I can't hear any sounds from there. If someone was calling, so then that would be too far away and it could not. Kedoba has to be near in that has to be within the Tuchum of Jerusalem. So if there's 2,000 amot of no homes in between, and so then that would be outside and those, those people could not blow the shofar on Shabbat. Um, and they'll have to be able to actually be able to get there physically if there's a river in between, even if it's technically close by and I can see it and I can hear it. But if there's a river and I can't get there, then that's also not called close by. So, but if you have all these four conditions, then um, all those are considered uh, connected to the Bet Mikdash close enough to the to Jerusalem, and they can also blow the shofar on Shabbat. All right, that's uh, that's all for the shofar. And now we get to the next takana. What we're going to see now is um, uh, three more takanot of Rabbi Yehuda Zakai, one regarding lulav, one regarding the korban ha'omer, and one regarding accepting testimony the entire day. We discussed this at length in Masechet Sukkah. So at first, the love was taken in the Mikdash all seven days, and outside the Bet Mikdash only one day. This is based on the Pasuk, but Pasuk says that everyone takes the love only on the first day. The end of that Pasuk says, and you will celebrate before Hashem for seven days, before Hashem means in the Bet HaMikdash. So only in the Bet HaMikdash does Ulav apply all seven days. Out, um, outside the Bet HaMikdash, only one day. And that's what was originally done. When the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, so now what's going to happen? 
Oh, we'll, we're all, all going to take lulav only for one day and nobody will take for seven days. This is not good, right? This is, we're not going to, can't continue um, in this uh, very limited way. So he made a takana that everywhere, mitrabanan, we will all take the lulav for seven days. And that's exactly what we do. It makes a difference. You know, if you have your etrog has to be yours and has to have a pitom and everything on the first day. But from the second day and on, um, it, in, it, then it, it's midrabanan, and so therefore, then it doesn't have all the deoraita restrictions. Question? It, Can't hear you. Uh, why is it coming up now, again in Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, uh, good question. <clears throat> Since we mentioned one takana that Rabbi Yochanan made regarding shofar, that you can blow shofar even on Shabbat, so now we collect all of the takanot. That Rabban, that, that the Biochana ben Zakai made after the destruction of the Beta Mikdash. So this actually might be the original place, like a whole, you know, a whole collection of here's all the takanot that he made. They were all proclaimed and and uh, and remembered. Uh, another reason I think that is not just by association, but because some part of the whole theme of Masechet Rosh Hashanah was regarding the authority of a betin. Right, they're the ones that declare the moon. Right, the whole first two chapters was about that, even against the astrono uh, 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 astronomy, even against the, the, uh, the other sectarians and their interpretations. The Betin has, has super authority even to, even to undo a deodaita. The Torah says, blow shofar. And now they're saying, oh, you might come to carry it. Don't blow shofar, right? It's an amazing thing. And so this would be, this is therefore an appropriate place to talk about all of the visionary enactments that the Ban Yochanan Ben Zakai made. Thank you. And that uh, the day that we bring the Kobana Omid, that's the second day of Pesach. And on that day, um, uh, originally in the time of the Bet HaMikdash, you're not allowed to eat from the old grain, uh, from, from the new grain, right? Anything that grew that year, you can't eat from the new grain until they actually bring the Omid and wave it. And that might be sometime in the morning, uh, you know, on that day, let's say 10 o'clock, then they can start. And now with that, there's no Bet HaMikdash and you don't have the Korban HaOmed at all. So now when do you begin? Technically, it could be in the beginning of the day because that's, you know, that's when the, we start the, that, that's, that's the day. But he said, no, the whole day should be prohibited uh, to eat from the new grain. You have to wait till the end of the day. It's not a big difference. It's a difference of 12 hours. Uh, that you can't start um, baking um, matzot with the new grain, but he said the whole day is asur. The Gemara will explain why. Okay. How do we know that it's a, a that it's one should do things uh, to to remember the Beta Mikdash? What's the source? So I'm going to, this is Pasuk from Yirmiya. I will restore, restore your health to you. I will heal you of your wounds, said Hashem, because they have called you an outcast. She is Sion. There is no other who care for her. So the, from these words, Doresh en La, that there's nobody who was caring for, for Jerusalem, that we can learn from there, there that we should care for Jerusalem, for Sion. And therefore, one way of caring is to remember its destruction and, uh, and do things to continue its memory.
Now, important pasuk. Okay, we're not going to discuss the lulav because that's already uh, discussed at length in Masechet Sukkah. So we go straight to the second example. My tama. The question is why? Um, uh, technically, <clears throat> since there, since we're not actually bringing korban Omed, if when you bring korban Omed, then it's at ten o'clock, let's say. So then you can eat from the new grain from ten o'clock on. If you're not bringing korban Omed, then sunrise of that day should kick in the the new uh, the new day, and that's it. Sunrise start start eating it uh, from the new grain. So the answer is why why would, would he make a takana that the whole day is prohibited? Because if you say that you can start eating from the new grain and sunrise the whole time when the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed, then one day the Bet HaMikdash soon will be rebuilt. And that year they're going to say, when can we start eating from the new grain? Well, last year we started eating at sunrise. So now also we'll start eating at sunrise. But they won't realize that they won't realize that last year there was no Korbana Omer. That was the only reason that you can start from sunrise. But once there is a Bet HaMikdash and you have to bring the Korbana Omer, then you have to wait till the Korbana Omer. It's that act that allows you to eat from the new grain. And so therefore, this is really like in memory. It's not just a memory of a long past memory. It's a mem- It's an active memory that it's w- w- together with a hope. And the hope is that ev- any day now, any year now, the Bet HaMikdash will be, will be rebuilt. And so we have to remember that the prohibition doesn't start in this at sunrise, that the, that the prohibition doesn't end at sunrise, um, but rather when you actually bring the Omer. So we make the whole day prohibited so that we won't um, come to that mistake. Okay, to makes sense. We want to figure out precisely when, what time are they building the Bet HaMikdash? Okay, um, this is like, you know, uh, thinking about a theoretical future thing that may happen, but now we want to know, ex- know precisely. Um, and we're making it very real with this question. If you say, that it was that uh, it was built on the 16th. Somehow they're building this whole thing in one day, right? Maybe it means that's coming down from heaven, ready, ready, ready built, uh, prefab. Um, so if it's on the 16th itself, well, when when the 16th started at sunrise, there was no Bet Hamikdash. In that case, sunrise will trigger the um, the ability to eat from the new grain, and it won't matter that the Bet Hamikdash was built afterwards. The per, the permission is still good from from sunrise, so it can't be that case. If it was built the day before on the 15th, that's the first day of Pesach, and all of a sudden it was built then, how could you build it on Yom Tov? Okay, whatever. This is all a bit theoretical. Um, if it was built already on the, on, the, on, the, on the 15th, then on the 16th, we shouldn't have to say the whole day is prohibited. From midday, it would be permitted. After all, the Mishnah says that when the Bet HaMikdash was up and functioning, uh, the people in the Bet HaMikdash, they would see the, the Kohen waving the Omer, and from then on, they'd go and bake with the new grain. If you were far away, and they don't know when they're doing it in the, in the Bet HaMikdash, they can assume that by noon, it's already done because there's a bet in there and they're going to make sure they're going to do it as soon as possible. So you have to wait till you bring the, the other korbanot 
but then they're going to do it before before chatzot. Therefore, you can assume that midday it's already done. And uh, since that's true, even if we were the Bet Hamikdash would be built on the fifteenth, and now and they forgot the next year. Why did why did Ben Zakai have to say the whole day is prohibited? He could have just said that it's prohibited till midday. Since if their Bet Hamikdash is all of a sudden built by midday, it would be fine. Oh, so the answer is that the Ben Zakai was worried that maybe the Bet HaMikdash will be built maybe on the 15th, right before sunset, or on the 16th at, uh, on the 16th at night, the night before. And if so, there's very little time to get things ready. Imagine, you know, they just built it, and now they have to also go get Kurban Omer, figure out how to do it, who's going to do it, how. They're not going to be ready, prepared to do everything by before midday. And so in that year, it may extend till the afternoon, and people won't realize if you don't make a takana, they'll say, oh, sunrise, it's allowed. And they won't realize, but now this year, there is a Bet HaMikdash. It was just built a few hours before sunrise. And they didn't get a chance, and maybe they'll delay that year. And so he made a takana that the whole day will be prohibited. Okay. Okay, all that is one, one opinion, one answer to the question. It seems a bit far-fetched, but I think it's actually nice. They're like uh, so concerned about the small mistake that someone may make if it Bet HaMikdash is built within this 12-hour period, and they'll then violate this one law. I think it kind of shows how, how imminent we are hoping the Bet HaMikdash to be built. All right, but all that is one answer. Now a totally different answer. That of Nachman Ba'yitzchak says, Yabam Muhammad Zakai is following the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, Damar ad atzem hayom hazeh ad atzmo shel yom ve'kasabar ad ve'ad bichlal. According to him, right, we were assuming this whole time that without Actually, if you don't have an actual Koban HaOmed, then when does the new when is the new grain permitted? We were assuming that it's at sunrise, but maybe not. Maybe it's actually at sunset, um, biblically, because the pasuk says you um, you will not eat uh, the the new bread or, or grain until the essence of this day. Etzem Hayom Hazeh. So Ad, what do you mean until? Ad can mean until the beginning of it or until the end of it. So ad inclusive. So we assume here it's an inclusive ad. And that means that the prohibition lasts that entire day until the end of the 16th. And so that would actually much more easily explain Rabban Yochamim Zakai when the Bet HaMikdash is up, then you can uh, start bringing the Omed at noon. If you're not around, you could you could start eating the new grain at noon because you can assume they did it. And there's no Bet HaMikdash and there's no Kabbana Omed, then you have to extend it till the end of the day because, right, that's what the Torah says. Hold on. Can it be that Rabbi Yochanan agrees with Rabbi Yehuda? We see uh, the following Mishnah where they are um, uh, they are uh, uh, arguing with each other. This, in this conversation, we have Rabbi Nechman Zakai making a, an enactment that the day of a waving uh, is entirely prohibited from using the new grain. And Rabbi Yudah says to him, wait, why do you have, you don't have to make a takana, it's midhoraita, it's prohibited. Because of course the pasuk, that's So according to this, it's pretty clear that 
the Abba Zakai does not agree with Rabbi Yehuda, that he thinks that the prohibition uh, ends at sunrise. And that's why he makes a takana that it should be the whole day. So aren't they arguing? No, the, the argument was only one way. The Biuda thought he was arguing with the Bama Mazakai because when he heard that the Bama Mazakai made a takana, he assumed that that meant Rabban Yochanan Ben Zakai thought it was uh, at sunrise and he made the Rabbanan, he prohibited the whole day. In fact, the Rabban Mazakai agreed with the Biuda and thought it was. The whole day, um, Rabbi Uda just misunderstood what Rabban Zakai said. Well, he had a good reason to misunderstand it because it says the word hitkin. Usually the word hitkin means he made a derabanan enactment that wasn't true before. So that's the next question. It doesn't say he made an enactment, so it sounds like he made it himself. No, Hitkin doesn't mean that he it was by his own authority or by the authority of the rabbis. It actually was a deoraita. When it says Hitkin, the point is that he um, explained it. He announced it um, because otherwise people were going to assume, I guess we're going to just continue with the way it was before and we could do it uh, from midday if we don't know otherwise. And so he had to go ahead and explain the pasuk and explain, this means the whole day. And from now on, we have to prohibit it the whole day. And that was, that's the second explanation of the Zakai. All right. And now we get to the last Mishnah uh, for today. Uh, it used to be that when you have the, the 30th day of Elul, which uh, is probably going to be Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So that entire day, they're waiting, waiting, waiting until witnesses would come. And now they can come, you know, in the morning. But what if they don't come till very late? Well, we used to accept them anytime, even if they come right before sunset of that 30th day. And we have a few minutes and we process them. We declared today's Rosh Chodesh. We would say that's acceptable. That was what happened originally. But this, this was a bad system. One time, the witnesses came late for whatever reason, and they came after the Levim already sang their song. The Levim sing with every uh, korban that they bring. There's always a song associated. We'll see what they are. And then they said the, they said the song, for a regular day, for a regular weekday, Chol, and they didn't sing any the, the proper song for Rosh Hashanah. And so this was a problem because they came so late. So So then they made a cutoff time. The witnesses for the new moon, they have to come before Korban Mincha. Korban Mincha is the last Korban that they do. So that even if the previous, uh, the, the previously during the day, they said the wrong, uh, the wrong uh, song. At least for Mincha, they said the correct song. So at least one of the songs was correct, and that's good enough. And so they'd accept the witnesses until Mincha. After they offered, offered the Korban Mincha, the afternoon sacrifice, and they said, that's it. Even if witnesses come, we're not accepting you. We're going to delay. And the the and until tomorrow and make and make a Rosh Hashanah will end up being two days. They'll 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 sell, you know they'll finish off this day, and they'll make ne- the next day also Rosh Hashanah. Okay, um, we're gonna we can wonder why it talks about why are they so worried about the song 
What about the actual korbanot? There's korban musaf, there's, you know, other things that are done, um, but particularly the song. So maybe actually they, they mean also the song. That's Rambam's explanation anyway. Um, that, that Also the korbanot, they're also worried about that. And so they want to do um, that as well. Others say, no, no, they would... Um, they would make, they would bring a sacrifice in the middle of the day as a musaf on condition. If today's Rosh Hashanah, then it'll be musaf. It's not, then we'll we'll call it something else. So the Kaban musaf, what they could deal with uh, one way or another, but the song is what they what was uh, what they could not figure out. Okay, now, so they made the cut of time. If witnesses come after the cut of time, after Mincha, then they would say today, the rest of today is holy and tomorrow is also holy. And so that's, uh, you know, that's why you would have two days of Rosh Hashanah. When the Bedat Mikdash was destroyed, now there are more, no more Leviim singing a song. So we don't have to worry that, oh, they're, they're, now they didn't sing the right song. And so Zakai uh, made an enactment to go back to the original system and we can accept the witnesses the entire day. They come to Yavneh uh, five minutes before sunset on the 30th of Elul, and they say, oh, today is, uh, today is Rosh, Rosh Chodesh. So they would say, okay, we accept it, Mikudash. And they would ha- know that this is Rosh Hashanah for five minutes. And that's it. That one day Rosh Hashanah, the next day would be already, uh, already Chol. Okay, that pro- probably means that they were refraining from Melacha the whole day, just in case witnesses would come. But the point is that there's no cutoff time. That's it. If you came that, then, then the next day is no, no longer Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so my kilkilu kilkilu, my kilkul kilkilu adavim bashir. And now we're going to analyze this and uh, wonder what does this mean that they messed up, the living messed up on the song that they sang? Uh, how could they mess up? So one explanation is that they didn't sing any, any mizmor at all because they didn't know in the morning, they didn't know, is today Rosh, uh, a weekday? And we say the regular Shir Shel Yom or is today Rosh Hashanah? And in that, in that case, we say mizmor 81, uh, the mizmor for Rosh Hashanah, the one that we still say today. So therefore they said nothing because you know they don't want to... Uh, uh, disgrace Rosh Hashanah and say a weekday, but they can't say Rosh Hashanah because they don't know, so they would say nothing. And then if they said no song the whole day, that was the error. That's one opinion. No, the error is that they said they did say something. They said the wrong weekday. They said the wrong Mizmor. Um, they said the Mizmor of the weekday um, in the afternoon and then never said uh, the Mizmor for Rosh Hashanah. So that's the two opinions, and now we're going to try to um, figure out, uh, uh, discuss each one. said the second one, uh, told his son, go tell the people in Bavel, right? Remember, it says, in Bavel, they explain this, that they didn't say um, a, a song at all. So the Bizarra wants to prove his point that they did say the song, a song, it was just the wrong one. So he says, go tell them this Braita in Bavel to prove my point. So that's the Braita, which says that they instituted Rosh Hashanah, they would accept testimony, uh, only if there was enough time left in the day to, and they would have to do all these things, to bring 
the korban tamid, a musaf, and all the libations that go together with those korbanot, and to say yeshira. You see, according to this, you needed enough time that they, according to this, they didn't have a musaf in the morning, but they would wait, wait, wait. And if there's still enough time to do the musaf and the tamid shel ben arbaim and sing a song, then they would do that. Um, okay, so that's the braita. If you say according to me that they they that they say they did say a weekday song, so then uh, this paraita makes sense. That's why there is a shibush shibush to say something without an error means to say the right one and not say the wrong one. But if they didn't say a song at all, and that's how you guys interpreted it, then what do you mean an error, right? Uh, uh, they, uh, what do you mean an error if they didn't say anything? If you don't say anything, it's not an error. Only if you say some, the wrong thing, is it an error, right? Well, they say no. If you say nothing at all, that's the greatest error, right? It's like on a test. If you leave it blank, well, I didn't, I didn't write something wrong, right? So uh, therefore what? Therefore you should mark it right? No, if you leave it out, then for sure it's wrong. There's no chance you're going to get any points, right? You always, teacher will always say, write something. Maybe you'll get partial credits worth something or other. So they can explain that Braita uh, easily. Uh, so Rabbi Zerah does not have a proof. Mativ Ravacha Barhuna. Tamid Shel Rosh Hashanah, Shacharit Karev Kehil Chato, Bemusaf Mahomer, Harninu Lelohim Ozenu, Hariu Lelohe Yaakob, Bemincha Mahu Omer, Kol Adonai Yachil Midbar. Ubizman Shechal Rosh Hashanah, Liot Bahamishi Beshabbat, Hashira Shelo, Harninu Lelohim Ozenu, um, so all this is a uh, well. It keeps going. Let's read the whole the whole baraita. Okay. So according to this baraita, we're gonna. I'll explain the baraita in a second we say it's obvious that they are saying something, they're just saying the wrong thing. Okay, so let's see, this is a, let's see this long baraita, it's almost at the end. Um, so, tamid of Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah, in the morning, you say, you, you, you bring it in the normal way, and you say the regular shir shel yom. Um, this is when you know it's a regular year, when you know it's Rosh Hashanah, even though it's Rosh Hashanah, you still say the regular shir shel yom for that day. Like the ones that we do today. And Musaf, what would you say? Hanin limuzenu That's Mizmod 81. Um, uh, they quote the they quote the second pasuk. Here is here is the Mizmod, right? We're just quoting from Hardinu, so you know which Mizmod it is. You can't just quote Lam Nasekh, you will know what we're talking about. And we say this whole Mizmod. So in Shacharit, we say the regular one. From Musaf, we say the one for Rosh Hashanah. And Mincha, what do you say? Another Mizmor, Kol Hashem Yachid Midbar, Kol Hashem. So this is also appropriate for Rosh Hashanah because talking about the sound of Hashem uh, in the wilderness, referring to Har Sinai, when they were blowing shofars, and that shofar was was uh, awakening us and uh, and um, a, associated with Hashem's thunderous sound. So that's appropriate for Rosh Hashanah also. Okay, good. Um, so in the morning would be regular Musaf and Mincha Rosh Hashanah. Now, what if Rosh Hashanah was on Thursday? Now we have a problem because Thursday's regular Shir Shel Yom is also Mizmod 81. So what are you going to do? You're going to say Mizmod 81 twice? 
Shintis um, already. So then in Shacharit, they would not say Harninu because you're not going to repeat it, uh, repeat the same as more twice. So what would you do instead? Uh, well, here's what you do. In the morning, you say, It is actually 81, but we start in the middle from Pasuk 7. Um, and so this, this will say in the morning, only from here on. And then, and that's for Shacharit, and then Musaf will say the whole thing. And so even though part of it is repeating, but we're doing something more, we're saying, we're saying more than we did before. So that's an addition, and that's fine. The Braita just showed, showed that on Thursday, we would say the regular weekday, Shir Shel Yom. And then if it turned out it was, in fact, Rosh Hashanah, then we would have to say it again for Musaf. And that's where we're worried. Well, how can you say it again? So this Braita is a challenge to one of the opinions, the opinion of that the Bavel, that you wouldn't say any Shir Shel Yom at all. So here's, here's the point of the question. If you follow the opinion of Rabbi Zera that says when you are in doubt, then you say the weekday one. And then, uh, and then, you, then we'll see what happens. And that could mess it up if you didn't uh, said all the weekdays and never got a chance to say Rosh Hashanah. Then this Braita makes sense. We understand why it would be that in the morning for Shacharit, you said the regular weekday one, and that would be on Thursday, there would be 81. And then when you get to Musaf, you have to say 81 again, and that's a problem. So the Spraita reads smoothly according to the Bizera. But according to the first opinion, the way that they explained it in Bavel, that when they were in doubt, they would say nothing at all. Then how could there ever be a problem that you may repeat it? According to them, on Thursday morning, so I don't know what day it is. And so they would say nothing at all. And then Musaf, it turns out now they know it's Rosh Hashanah. So now they would say it for the first time. So how would they explain in Bavel? How would they explain this Baraita? And we answer simply, Thursday is different from all other days because Thursday, the regular Mizmod is 81 in any case. So it's fine. You can say 81 on, 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 on that morning. And if it's a weekday, okay, so you said the weekday one. If it's Rosh Hashanah, good, we said the Rosh Hashanah one. But only on Thursday will we encounter that problem that you said something and now you're repeating it. In fact, if it was any other day of the week, we would not say any Mizmod at all. And according to, that, according to them, that would be the Shibush. And now we explain this, but I according to all the opinions. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.